You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Did you turn in, in your the scriptures? Maybe you're already there to Mark 13, the end, the end of the chapter. Uh, verse 32 is where we're going to begin through 37. Carol sang about this king that is coming. Madeline drew a picture last week. It was the only one I got, so sorry if the other kids drew and I didn't get it. But um, Now, if you study this, you get an idea of what we said. We said, Scripture says, heaven and earth will pass away. So everybody's at a funeral, and heaven and earth has passed away at the funeral, if that makes sense. So uh, Madeline picked up on that passing away and uh, it will pass away. But his words won't, and they will stay true. And now we get to this end of the chapter of saying, all right, in light of all this, what do we do? What do we think of? So thank you, Madeline, for doing that. As I read through, just, you know, it's not a long section, I want you to be listening for what's repeated in here. Hear the repeated phrase. We're going to come back to these, but be listening for that. What just seems to go on, and you feel like Mark in this case, Jesus that's speaking, has said this already. So listen as we read God's Word. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the roaster, uh, rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Let me pray for us as we get into the word of God here. Lord, we thank you again. The promise is in your words that won't pass away, that the King truly is coming. And Lord, I pray none of us in this room would be found sleeping when he comes. So Lord, help us to think rightly about what it means to stay awake and not sleep, what it means to not know when the hour is. And we're just praying that your Holy Spirit would reveal these things, these truths to us. And Lord, that your word would change how we live. That our Monday and the rest of our week and each day that we're in, our, in your word is different because we've read of you and the truths of you and we're being changed by Jesus. So help us. And I just pray uh, right now you'd work during this time that your name would be glorified. Jesus, that you'd be exalted as the one coming, though we know not when. That we'd be prepared for you as our King. So guide us in this, Lord. We ask by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This summer, Hannah and George, who we're going to get today, yay, he's coming back, and, uh, but Harrison and Madeline, they all traveled to Kansas earlier in the summer. They left me here. I stayed here. I was already gone maybe a little too long and wanted to stay back. They went down to Kansas, so I stayed by myself here for the week. And survived quite well. Hannah does an awesome job of preparing. It's not like they're all on plates, but just an abundance of food. And if you guys have experienced this, your wives leave or you know, on your own, 
uh, you know, she left, I think maybe it was on a Monday. She came back on a Friday. So I got all week to eat whatever, put the dishes wherever. But I know that if she's coming Friday, I should probably start to get ready because I know she's coming. And that's what I did. I, I had meals and so forth. Didn't do a lot of cleaning up until Friday came. And then you know she's coming. And even with texting, now I know, you know, or I can watch where her phone's at an hour and a half away. I got an hour and a half. I can, I can get this done, that sort of thing. There was an expectancy because I knew that she and family were coming. And I wanted the house to look good, like, wow, it looks great in here. Spiritually, in our lives, we are waiting on Jesus and His return. And maybe we're tempted... Uh, to wait until last minute where we think, you know what, when he returns, I'll, I'll see some of the signs. I'll get an idea. We'll have, there'll be some marking, and then I'll get ready. Then I'll be prepared for it. Uh, maybe like we read in Second Peter 3, that Jesus uh, is coming, seems like it's going to take a while. I mean, for us, we think it's been 2,000 years. We talked about the day and the years, but 2,000 years, a long time. Is it going to be 3,000? And, and I think many of us think, man, it's, could he come tomorrow? Could he come today? But he hasn't come in 2,000 years. It's going to be a while. And we just may not live with that expectancy that he could come at any time. In my case, I knew Hannah and kids are coming on a Friday. I need to get ready. According to our passage, we don't know when Jesus is coming. But the call is the same, to get ready, to be alert, to wake up. Um, the passage today, there's two points really in it. And I hope you heard those as we look through it. I think they're, they're really crystal clear um, because they're repeated so often and, and that just helps us even understand uh, what Jesus is saying here. There's two, two points here, two clear things. One is that um, no one knows when Jesus will return. That's kind of just one. I think we read that. It's listed a couple times here. There's some clues, there's some signs of what's going on, but the day and the hour, it is unknown. And it's even unknown to Jesus who spoke those words. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but then two, the second one. So one, nobody knows. Number two, we're to wait expectantly. We're to wait with an alertness, with an awakefulness, if you will. And typically, I like to just go through a passage verse by verse, and we'll look at some verses in here. But today I just want to look at these two aspects um, and hold them up and, and maybe how they fit together. So this is kind of a, if you go by sermons, it's a two-point, it's not a three-point. Pastors can do other than three-point sermons. This one's one of them. Two points here. Again, like I said, two aspects. One, we don't know when he'll return. Look at that. And then, and then really how. So there's kind of the when, we don't know when, but then how are we to live while we're waiting for the when that we don't know when it's going to be. How do we live? And so let's look at these things in the scriptures here. Um, again, throughout the text, um, I believe it's three times in here, you see this phrase again, uh, no one knows. That day or that hour, no one knows. Verse 32 says that right off the bat. No one knows, not even angels in heaven, the Son or the Father. Verse 33 says, keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. And even verse 35 um, says, you do not know when the master of the house will come. It's like in case we missed it, you hear what Jesus is saying, you don't know over and over. We don't know when his 
return will be. And I think that's, that's encouraging to us. Um, just as we think about trying to figure out when and the signs and all those things, we can just say, here at the end of a passage on his coming and the, the end times and tribulation, all these things, in the end he says, we don't know. Now, I want to look at one question that might pop up, and it's in the first verse, 32, out of the people that don't know. Um, there's one person listed here that I think if we're reading, we're expecting he would know. That's the son. That's Jesus lifted here. And verse 32 says, Jesus himself, the son, that's Jesus, does not know when that will happen. And we might read that and get a bit alarmed. We thought, I mean, if, if we rightly believe Jesus is fully God and fully man and God knows everything, and so if Jesus is God, well, is there something he doesn't know and does that make him less of God or something like that? And we can struggle with that. And I want to just address that question briefly and look at it a little bit. Um, if he does not know something, can he be fully God? Because, like I said, God knows all things. I want you to turn to the book of Philippians to look at this, just to briefly think about it, help us look through, is there something that Jesus is fully God, cannot know or doesn't know? It's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. We've been looking at some of these areas about Jesus here in our Sunday school, Him being fully God and fully man. Um, on your way to Philippians 2, I'll start in verse 5, but um, I give credit here to Bruce Ware, who I've mentioned in our class here, and I think he helpfully states that, that as Jesus became a man, and we're going to read about that, he came in the flesh, there, there was a subtraction by addition. Math people are going to go, What's, what do you mean? There, there was a subtraction by an addition. That is that Jesus added something when he came to earth, that ended up subtracting from something. Now let me read Philippians 2. Let's, we're going to maybe make some smoke uh, go as we think through this. But look at Philippians 2, and I'll read 5 through 7. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I'll just read verse 8. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Here, Jesus is fully God, but he came in the flesh. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time, the, the incarnation, the coming as a baby to grow up, to die for the sins of mankind. But it says here, he made himself nothing. In verse 7, he took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, if you think of it with me here, Jesus, in a sense, he added the flesh to who he already was. Jesus exists eternally, but he came and he added flesh to who he was. And in doing so, certain attribute, attributes of his godness or his deity, this is where I want to be careful, they did not leave him. He didn't, see, he didn't become less God, didn't leave, um, but rather in humility, his humanity would cover over his deity. So we're not saying he didn't become God, certain parts left, but his humanity in a sense covered over. Think of it with the transfiguration. Remember on earth with Peter, James, and John, and, 
and here's Jesus up on the mountain, but then what? Remember, there's light. He's revealing himself to them, and they see him kind of for who he really is. There's this, this veiled glory to Jesus. I think in this way, there's this humanity that covered Jesus and in part covered or uh, subtracted some of these attributes of him as God. Let me let Bruce Ware uh, explain here in his own words to help us think through how does Jesus not know when he's coming, but he's God and God knows all things. Here's what he says. So while he, that is Jesus, was in nature fully God, yet in order to live in nature fully as a man, he gave up the expression or exercise of some of his divine abilities. He did not give up those divine abilities. And I, and I think that's careful to say. He gave up the expression of them. He didn't give them up themselves to continue. In this way, Christ emptied himself by adding. There was a subtraction of the use of certain aspects of his deity by taking on the full experience of his humanity. And why? All for the purpose of humbling himself to become our servant a full human being who would obey his Father to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus humbled himself to come, that veiled glory. I think in some aspects, those attributes that weren't gone away, but they were veiled or covered, be a word to use that. Mark 10.45 talks about the humility of Jesus. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He gave his perfect... This is God humbling himself. And we see it even in this, this little verse in Mark uh, 13.32. I think you can see some of his humility as he came. Came to serve. That by his perfect life, his sacrifice on the cross, he would bring salvation for all who come in repentance and faith. So here, God himself, he humbles himself to die the death we deserve to die forever. And the call is for us, again, to believe in his name, the name of Jesus, to trust that this death paid our sin penalty, that his death and resurrection give us new life, new breath to praise our God. So I hope that's somewhat helpful as we think of Jesus. We can head back to Mark 13 here. We remember, again, Christ, he's fully God, yet in his humanity, he did not know when. Though I believe right now, seated at the right hand of God, I believe he does know. He knows when he's coming. Uh, Verse 34 then. Look on with verse 34. Jesus gives us an example, really an illustration of this passage as we kind of come back into this not knowing, staying awake, Uh, Verse 34, an illustration really to just drive home. What is Jesus talking about? What's he saying about the timing of his coming? And really, then we get into how we should wait for that return. So look at verse 34. Jesus says, it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Jesus is helpful, I think, with this illustration here. And I think he's helping his disciples really apply what he's saying to a real-life situation. Master of the house, 
goes away, uh, leaves each servant to his own work, uh, the doorkeeper to keep watch, and then he's going to return at here an unknown hour. We don't, it doesn't, doesn't say. Verse 35 says he could come at any time, right? Evening, midnight, the rooster crowing, that's midnight to 3 a.m. Um, or in the morning. So really, what's, what's the bulk of it? Any time he could come. He could come right now. It would be awesome. He could come tomorrow, the end of the week, next year, a thousand. We don't know when. But Jesus is saying he's going to come. Just don't know. He's gone away. The question for us, and as I thought through here, as you look through here, is if we believe this. Do we believe that Jesus is coming, the King is coming at an unknown hour? Um, If we think, stop, think about these truths, I just challenge you, compare them to the life you're living right now against this backdrop of not knowing, this, this illustration of the master leaving, puts his servants in charge, a doorkeeper to keep watch. Um, I think majority of us, I won't speak for you, but to speak even in my life, I think we live as if uh, it's not going to happen for a while. We just, yeah, Monday's going to happen as it always has. We're going to get up tomorrow. We're going to do this. Yep, Friday we're going here. Uh, Christmas is coming up in December. You know, all these things we just sort of plan. And we're not thinking, like I was thinking when Hannah returns with the kids, we're not thinking it could be Friday or sooner. So just as we're thinking through this, a challenge to you, and then I want to try to help us maybe answer this, but here's the challenge. What would it look like if you knew, let's just pick a day, you knew this Friday Jesus is coming back? It's going to be, you know, Again, um, this is an illustration. I'm not predicting anything. Okay, but what if this Friday, whatever that's going to be, Monday's the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, would it change your week? Would you be doing anything different? It's, I think it's a convicting thought to think, what, what would I use my week for? I mean, I understand. We need to keep working. I don't think, you know, it's just quit my job. Maybe for some, we quit and we go. I don't know. We go to Columbia. We go to wherever. We go down our street to proclaim the gospel. I don't know what it looks like, but it's a thought for us. And because we kind of just live in this mode of, it's been, I mean, we're much like those in Second Peter 3. It's, it's coming has been a long time. It's probably going to be a long time. I'll just keep going along. They'd be convicted about that. If you knew he was coming, what would your life look like? So hopefully some of those thoughts really lead us to think, if he is coming, and he is, how then, that's the, the second point, how. So we don't know when, but how then should I be waiting? Really, I think according to this passage, what does it look like to wait in expectation? To, what does it look like to, I mean, we're told again and again, stay awake, be on guard, be alert. We say, okay, I don't know when, I want to stay awake. What is that? What do I do? What does that look like? Let me look at a couple things from this passage and then we'll look at one more passage. Uh, This idea of staying awake. And you see this idea all through here. Um, It's verse 33, 35, 37. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And so we're asking how. I think verse 34 gives us some help here. Again, back to this illustration. 
Let me just look at it again. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. I think there's two groups in view here, if you look at this. There's, there's one group, each servant with his work. The other group is the doorkeeper. Um, there's a certain authority, there's a certain charge given to these servants while the master is away on the journey. Each servant has his own work. Each servant here has been given a task by the master, and there's a task to complete. I think it looks probably different for each servant. You clean this, you're out here, you're in the fields, you're in this place, servants, you've got these things to do, I'm leaving, be at work, be at your business of what you need to be doing. There's not a lot of details here for us to say how do we stay awake, but I think there's enough for us to look and the language, at least to look and say each servant has a specific work to do. Each has his own What does it say? His own charge. Each with his own work. They're in charge. They've got their own work to do. Your specific work in the kingdom is not my work to apply it to us. There's a general call for each one of us to go and make disciples. But how we're going to make disciples and how we're going, some are going to Columbia, some are going to Iowa. Some are going, you're going to go to Rochester to eat, or you're going to go here, or you work in this sphere, or you're going to go minister here, or you've got this neighbor that none of the rest of us have, all these different spheres and places. So the calling is the same. Each one of us go and make disciples. Locations are different, and tasks are different, and abilities are different. Some sing, some sing, but don't, you know, we all, we're all different. We're all to sing, right? But there's these different gifts uh, God's given to the church. And so we're unique. So the question really is, for each one of you, what work has God given you to do? And to be at work, at the work. He's coming. Has He gifted you? Has He gifted you to write, to think, to uh, be up front, in front of people, or to be behind the scenes? To be doing all sorts of... What ministry is even God uh, maybe pointing out and saying, you need to grow this and do this and to trust Him? I said there's two groups. That's the servants. I, I think another group here is the doorkeeper. There is a doorkeeper to keep watch, to stay awake, watch over the door. Um, it's not clearly laid out here, but here I just don't think it would be too much of a stretch just to see this doorkeeper as the under-shepherds of the church, really the leaders of the doorkeepers. They're accountable to guard the house, your elders. Paul tells the elders this in Ephesus in Acts 20, 28. He says, pay careful attention. I mean, this sounds like doorkeeping work, okay? He says this, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Shepherds to elders, watch the house. We're to... Be careful. We're accountable to care for the sheep as under-shepherds of the great shepherd Jesus. But I think if you just skim down to verse 37, I think really both servant and doorkeeper, it's the all. Stay awake. 
There's an all of verse 37. What I say to you, and it's a great, this is put in there. It's not, Jesus isn't just talking, I don't think, to the 12. He's saying to all, to all you disciples, to all disciples, stay awake. I think we could look at this, and surely Jesus doesn't mean just stay awake, like physically. I think we've got that. We're kind of jumping to the jump, and maybe we don't think through that, but maybe there are evenings where we need to stay awake a little longer to finish a task of ministry. Maybe there's times where we just need to rest and we need to get some sleep so we can stay awake physically. But it's spiritually, I believe spiritually, to stay awake. And there's other places we could go in Scripture to look at this. Um, it would just take, I think, too much time. You can write it down, Matthew 24 through 25. It is, again, a parallel passage to this section. And, um, again, you can read through there. It talks about being faithful, and there's parable after parable after parable. There's a bunch in, in chapter 25 of this being ready for the return of Jesus, and I think can give you a broad scope of what it looks like. Um, we've looked at Second Peter 3, living lives. What are we to do? We're to live lives in holiness and godliness. But I want to end our time where we are the place we've been before because I think it's just helpful as, again, we think through, is there more help? And it's just good to go through Scripture. Is there more help through Scripture to understand what does it look like to stay awake and stay alert? And again, I want to just turn you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 again. So 1 Thessalonians 5. It's the end of the book. As you're getting there, we're going to read verses 1 through 11, but Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, perhaps this is even before the Gospel of Mark would be written. Um, the theme of the book, it's one of the second coming of Christ. He's coming again. So I think it's a good spot to turn to. We've read it before, but again, we're just going to read it again. As we're asking this question, we don't know when, so Lord, how do we live? And he's telling us, stay awake, be on guard, be alert. And you could tie in all of chapter 13, endure to the end, expect tribulation. He's coming. His words won't pass away, all those things. Then we get to First Thessalonians 5, and I'll just read uh, 1 through 11 here. I'm interested in verse 8 in particular, but just hear it all as we're thinking of, through of these questions. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying, there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you... You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we, and here's verse 8, since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. There's great promise right there. He died for us. Whether we're awake right now, whether we're asleep, we're going to live with Him. Verse 11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. You saw verse 8, putting on this breastplate of faith and love, this helmet, the hope of salvation. You're going to hear echoes in there of Ephesians 6, where Paul says similar things, maybe a little longer area there. So we might ask again, how do we stay awake, not sleep? How do we be sober? How are we to be on guard? At least here, there's putting on some armor, not literal armor, spiritual armor. I just submit the three things out of verse 8 here um, to look at that we would not be sleeping in, that we would be awake. One is faith, this breastplate of faith and love. A faith, our faith that's not asleep, an awake faith. In other words, believe God, trust His promises. Chapter 1 of this same book, Paul calls it a work of faith. It's trusting Trusting Jesus that though persecution arise, though the earth gives way, the heavens and earth, we see the signs, we see dissolving, skies darting, all these things, we put our faith in the Lord. We trust that God reigns. His Word is going to remain. It's an alert faith. It's a trust. A love as well. Faith, this breastplate of faith, this protection of faith, I'm going to trust you, Lord, for your promises and this protection of love and that we love. We love God and we love others. Uh, Chapter 1, again, of this book, 1 Thessalonians, Paul calls it a labor of love. Jesus says this in John 14, 15. So we think, what do you mean awake love? Love that doesn't sleep. Here's what Jesus says, John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Because those in Christ have been born of God, they're free to follow God with all of your heart. He's working in you through His Spirit. Again, we're to be people of His Word, that we would love what He's told us and be in it and learn about Him, feeding on it while we wait. And we're to love others, building one another. Verse 11, encourage one another, build one another up. Love one another as you see that day approaching as we wait for the coming of Christ. So be strong in the faith, trusting, love, loving God, loving His Word, what He said to us, loving others. And the last one there, at least verse 8, is to hope. This helmet, the hope of salvation. That we'd believe, we'd live with hope. A hope that God has not forgotten. He's not delayed at all. God's not, I was going to come then, i got to delay, I'm busy, this sort of thing. He's not delayed. He's going to save completely to the uttermost those who come to Him through Christ. There's a hope we have. Hebrews 7.25 speaks of this foreverness of Jesus and His priesthood, and it says this, Consequently, He, that is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Again, our hope is not to know when. If we knew when, that's not not the point. It's the who that we're waiting on. It's the who our hope is in. It's Jesus 
who died, was raised. He lives forever. He's our guarantee of eternal life. And He's going to come again. Faith, love, hope. Familiar words of Paul. You hear them in other places. Faith, hope, and love. Heard that other places. Question for us, just how are you using the grace? And all these are really of God, aren't they? Aren't they works of His grace? Our faith in Him, to love Him, to hope in Him. His grace. This measure you've been giving, you've been given, how are you using it? Again, not to earn His grace, but how do we multiply what He's given? So when we returns, we haven't just hid it away and said, yeah, I've done, I've done my thing, but we've multiplied whatever gift He's given you for the kingdom of God to work in, to multiply it and work for Him. So with the measure you've been given of faith, love, hope, may it multiply for the glory of God while you wait for His return, not knowing again what day or what hour. I pray we'd be multipliers of His gifts of grace to us. That we'd wait in hope. Maybe He'll come Friday. May our weeks look differently with that in mind. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray for each of our hearts, including my own today, as I just just join with the believers here. Lord, we're all in need. We're all so easily distracted with the things of this world. And we're worried about trivial things. Um, So, Father, help us. We believe these, these things, this faith, hope, love, it's by your grace. So, Lord, just enlarge it in us. But, Lord, what, what mustard seed of faith you've given us, what mustard seed of love and of hope, may you grow that and multiply it in us that we would grow to be trusting your promises this week, to be loving you in a greater way this week because you first loved us, to be loving others around us this week, that we'd be found as going and making disciples, teaching them, to obey everything you've commanded, Lord. May we bring praise and glory and honor to God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. May we walk with you in hope. So guide us, Lord. Guide us not to look at your delay as just time off to lay back in the easy chair. And Lord, some of us today need rest. And we need rest in you so that we can be alert and awake. I pray you'd give that rest. Some of us, Lord, need to stand up and use the gifts you've given, the places you've put us for your glory. So help those to have courage and joy, Lord, to go work for you, to labor in love, a work of faith, and to hope in you with steadfastness. And we pray this, Lord, by the power of Jesus at work in us through your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Oh.